Well, I'll be I'll frank, be frank with you. Um, I'm struggling this morning. Um, not because of my transmission that went out earlier this week. That was not a good thing. Uh, and it was a horrible experience at the Honda dealer, but that's another story. But my struggle is a spiritual struggle. Um, the sermon is weighing heavily upon me. It's, it's a weighty issue, very important for our day and for us to be thinking biblically. And uh, it's just been like a, a battle to be able to get this ready to go to preach today. So can we just stop and ask God for his help? And would you pray in that regard as well? Lord, I thank you that you are a help and you've given us your word. The Bible is truth and we can count on it. And in it, Lord, you reveal yourself. Not only that, Lord, you reveal to us what it means to understand you and your love for us. And Lord, the way you have ordered your creation is for our good, that we might enjoy you and glorify you. So Lord, would, would you give some help now as we address this passage that's so important for us in this day, to be able to value what you value and to appreciate what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that your gospel would be most known and that I would get out of the way and we would see you and respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on our communion Sundays, the first Sunday of the month, as, as you know, we, we have been working through the book of Hebrews and we're in Hebrews chapter 13. And as we've said before, the, the whole point of Hebrews is to motivate you to persevere, to keep on going forward in your faith, to persevere, to keep following Jesus. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 3, just a page back or so, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, that we are to consider him, consider him who uh, endured for sinners such hostility. He endured hostility for you and me, and it was against him, mankind turning against the Son of God, and he endured hostility. He was not liked, and he did that so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In verse 7, we are to endure. So, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. He is so much better than anything else. The angels, the law, Moses, all the other things that are going on. Jesus Christ really is the answer to it all. And so we are to look to him. And as we consider him, then it gives us perspective on how to live life in our day to day. How we get through this thing. So continue living the faith. And Hebrews 13 then moves us into how we're to live in a world that's like it is. Lord, how are we to live? What is our ethic for living in a world gone mad? Ethics. I referenced that last time. And we, we're talking about something that involves life concepts of morality, right and wrong, good and bad, doesn't stop there. Concepts of might, right and wrong, good and bad, as it relates to what God sees in the eyes of God. Our Christian ethics are driven by what we know is true from God. 
So Hebrews 13 then gives us five formative ethics for us as Christians. The way we live in a world that is not living this way, obviously. The first one that we looked at last month was Christians love well. And we are loving those that are not being noticed. We're caring for those who need this. Christians love well. Second, Christians honor marriage. That's verse 4. We understand contentment. It's an important part of this. We enjoy security, and we respond well to authority. These are our formative ethics for, for life, how we live out this Christian view of living. The whole book of Hebrews is about Christ, and because of that, then we live differently than the rest of our culture around us. So today we're going to dwell on that second ethical matter that's listed there, Christian's honor marriage would you look at verse 4 again of hebrews 13 let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for god will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous you know been at this for a long time and i've said for many years it's a miracle that any marriage makes it. <laughs> when you have one sinner who's intent on having their own way and another sinner that's intent on having their own way and you put those together, you're going to have conflict. And there's going to be issues and differences and struggles and ugh. It's a miracle that any marriage makes it. And I'm aware of many various life situations for, for many here. Some are happily married. Some want out of their marriage. Some are just done with marriage. Some have been married before, went through tragedy, married again, and really working on it. Some are working toward getting married. You really want to be married. Someday. I hope that you will have a, a joyful, hopeful perspective on what marriage should be based on what we look at in the word here and someday soon there's going to be a marriage here um sean and allison they're going to be getting married yeah it's about time <laughs> june 3rd yeah and boy are they putting work into it they're working through all kinds of pre-marriage counseling that we're working on together working through the budgeting issues oh that's just so ugly and hard to do but and getting a strategy for being able to work through all these things and and planning to save and and having a, a getting on the same page together about what that looks like uh, working through all kinds of communication issues and hard questions and talking through the answers to those hard questions together uh, they're working through our Dare to be Different curriculum as well, which basically it, it, it identifies tough issues, talks about why those are issues, and then comes around to looking for some solutions together, and then we compromise to help that happen, and marriage works. By the way, let me encourage you, <clears throat> if you've not done the Dare to be Different strategy for just encouraging your marriage, would you talk to me about that? It is such a great tool, and it's so helpful and needful, even if you've been married 40 years, and we're there. Um, but what's so cool about this is come June 3rd, 
Sean is going to be the perfect husband, right? Because he's gone through all this work, right? You're going to live up to that? We'll see. What do you think about that? She's got her eyebrow up like, I don't know about that. I want to encourage you, your perspective, whatever your station in life, (coughs) excuse me, I want to encourage you to value what God values. God values marriage. It's honorable. Marriage is a very good thing. We're going to see that. In fact, with this perspective of this verse, let marriage be held in honor among all. Why is that being stated here? I want to take you back all the way back to the very first chapter of the Bible because God addresses this in Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse Genesis in verse 1, excuse me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. We read So God created man in his own image. That's something different than any other creation of God. We are created in a way that can relate to God, to know God, to communicate who God is. We're created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created him, this Adam. And then we see two words, male and female, he created them. I think that's really important to note those words. I would encourage you, and I can help you do this if you'd like to, give you a couple of resources, just some things to click on. But I would love to encourage you to do some word studies about and learn how to do that. But here are two simple words right at the beginning of your Bible that would be really good to do a word study on and to grasp the meaning of it. Male and female. As that is intended for those who spoke that language, the Hebrew language, all the way back to Moses, as he's writing this under God's inspiration, talking about how God started everything and how he created, male and female. That's a biological term, those terms. Speaking of anatomy, how the bodies are constructed differently, male and female, he created them. He made them on purpose. And God blessed them. I love that. I love the picture of that. This this thing that God created and then he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm trying to picture what God's blessing would look like there, that blessing. Basically, it comes down to this. God steps back and looks at this creation of male and female, and you know what he does? He starts clapping. He applauds them. This is the way it ought to be. This is good. This is, this is exactly what I was hoping for. God created them, male and female, and he blessed them. That's the word barak. To, hell, to hold up and say, that's good. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. There's some responsibility we have that God gives over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, he created it, and behold, it was very good. Prior to this, each day it was good, but now on the sixth day, and note this, it was evening and there was morning. That's a 24-hour period. That's the sixth day. God said, that's very good when he created male and female. Our problem is this, that because of sin in all of us, 
Our world has really messed up this concept of this very good thing that God created. And Satan has a heyday with this. All the way back in the garden, he's been intent on destroying what God made to be very good. This relationship that is made in the image of God, male and female. So why is this verse here in Hebrews chapter 13? Well, it's a major factor of life. It is the major factor of life. Our civilization, our civilization, let me say this again, our civilization depends on the strength of this relationship, this marriage relationship, husband and wife, that God created. And it's extremely important, more so even in our day today, because of the pressures from our culture regarding this. Five years ago, I might not have seen it that way. We all do now. Back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The literal Greek wording here is simply marriage honorable in all. There's no verb listed there. Marriage, honorable in all. The verb is understood. Now, the KJV, those of you that have that, are, are seeing it as a statement. Uh, marriage is honorable in all. Uh, in our ESV, there's a, the verb concept here of let, or that's a subjunctive of, of urgency here. So keep it this way. Emphasize this. Let this marriage thing be something that is honorable for everyone. To understand this, emphasize this. Now, I want to be tender how we address this. Many in our culture today are being instructed with the view that places people at the center of the picture. And naturally, if a person is at the center of their world picture, the focus will be for that individual, that person, to seek love and happiness in whatever way works for them. If you are at the center of the universe, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that you're happy. However, if there is a God, there is, who created us, there is. And if God is the God of love, if that's who he is, and he is, and that's the whole point of why we have the Trinity, because God is love. Dwell on that truth. Study that. Again, I'd love to encourage you to, in comprehending the Trinity, if you comprehend God's love, it goes, oh, so that's what it's all about. If there is a God who is love, who created us, and he says, I want you to see something about me so that then you can understand this as well and live this out. And I want, I want to demonstrate love to you. And let me show you how that can be demonstrated through this creation I've made of marriage. Well, we ought to hold that in value as well. So this goes contrary to our culture. I understand that. But it's what God wants us to know and appreciate and enjoy. So let's just take a minute to, to look at that word marriage. It's listed right there at the beginning of the, the verse, marriage. And it's, it ought to be obvious, but I don't know that it really is. 
Let's give it a definition. You have a place here to jot in some words and finish out this definition in your handout there. But marriage, it's defined this way. Marriage of God's making, so it's a creation of God. Marriage of God's making is the joining by covenant. That's an important concept. We're going to come back to that. A joining by covenant of one biological male and one biological female. There's not self-determination here. It's God's determination based on biology to become one flesh until parted by death. Again, that's based on Genesis chapter 1, we just looked at, and Genesis 2. You put both of them together, and God does this. In Genesis 1, we have the creation account of the six days. We come back and look at it again in Genesis 2, more detailed. It's a, it's a recapitulation of this particular point of the creation. In fact, let's look at Genesis 2. Verse 18, God created a covenant design for marriage, and it's seen here. So we saw in Genesis 1, God created male and female. Again, in that language, the biological terminology defining what the differences were and how they work together. So here in verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord God said, It is not good that man, that's the word Adam, should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. I love that word helper. It's the word E-Z-E-R, Ezer. Ezer. Something that makes it easier. You, can, you can't, it doesn't work as well without this. So God created an Ezer for him, for this Adam. Verse 23, then man said, this is at last, this at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Isha is the word there. The word for man used in this verse is ish. Man is just ish. The woman is isha. This is good. That's why God said this is very good. Then we read in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That holding fast is pictured, I think, best by the idea of something being joined. It's no longer in conflict. There's a love that joins these two together into one. It's joined. In fact, that's not just my opinion. I think it's very significant that Jesus quoted both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in one statement in Matthew chapter 19. He puts 1 and 2 together, Genesis 1 and 2 together. Look at this. In verses 4 and 6 of Matthew 19, he answered, Have you not read, Jesus said, saying to him, Did you, didn't you do your homework? <laughs> Have you not read that he who created, God created, them from the beginning made them male and female, that's a biological concept, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, his gyne, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, giving us a commentary of what Genesis 2 means, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
So, marriage is created or ordained by God. It's not a human invention. It's God's creation because we are made in His image. And it's something that God made as a joining covenant. It's not a contract. Here, you do this, I'll do this. Marriage is a promise because God is a promise-keeping God. So our text then is emphasizing this word marriage and how we look at that. Hebrews chapter 13 really helps us to understand God's ethic, how we think about right and wrong based on what God did in creating this concept of marriage. The first uh, meaningful point is this. Marriage is honorable, okay? That's the word timos. It's used 13 times in the New Testament. Normally, it's translated precious, as in that's special, or most precious. One time, it's translated here in Hebrews 13 as honorable. Uh, I think the New American Standard sometimes translates it very costly, Marriage is very costly, right, guys? But it's it's, it's something you wouldn't you wouldn't miss out on. You would want you want to you you want to communicate the value. And so, in, in fact, the New Testament sometimes refers to it as as precious stones. Ah, the engagement ring. It's got to be the biggest rock possible, and the most expensive. Why? You're communicating, this is so valuable, and it's precious, and I want you to know how important you are to me. That's the idea of this word honorable here. And it's among all, saved and unsaved. This is an honorable state. It is honorable for all. It's a creation reality that God does for us, for our good, and our whole, whole, our whole society Everything revolves around this relationship. It's health. This phrase next in the verse that says marriage bed is uh, coite is, 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 a, is a euphemism for sexual intimacy within marriage. Something that God created for our good. So number two, sexual intimacy within marriage, the marriage covenant, is clean. It's clean. It's not dirty. It's clean. It's so good. The sensual joy is pure. It's not a stain. It's undefiled. That word is not my, you know, it's not dirty. It's unpolluted. <clears throat> Tragically, it is polluted by Satan and our culture. So we as Christians, our challenge in living out this truth to see clearly the beauty of what God created as a perfectly clean thing called sex. What a wonderful gift from God within marriage. Again, Satan's attack is to destroy that thing that God said is very good, correct? But God still says it's very good. And number three, this is really important to understand, God judges immorality. Remember, this is very precious. It's clean, and if we, we, if we don't see it that way, God judges immorality. 
Wow. It's an emphatic statement. God will judge. So consider these three admonitions. See to it that you preserve the honor. You keep it valued. Make sure it's something that you're investing all you've got in it. You're, you're putting into the bank of serious value in your marriage. Number two, enjoy the beauty of marriage intimacy. And here's the key. You're focusing on the pleasure of the other. It's not a selfish thing. You're giving, you're serving, you're pleasing your marriage partner. It's not about you. It's not a self-serving thing. And when it does become a matter of selfishness, when that's the scenario, it does become dirty. So that's the key point to understand. Are we seeking to please the marriage partner? And then the third admonition is heed the sober warning. For... Or because, the next word is fornicators, that's those that are immoral previous to marriage, all kinds of sexual sins. And there are other places that delineate in the scriptures the many different kinds of ways that immorality takes place. But that, it doesn't stop there, and it says also adulterers, those that are committing immorality while they're married, which is a double offense. And here we read, God will judge. Those who sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And this judgment here references painful consequence. There's payday someday. In fact, here in, here in uh, Hebrews, Earlier in the book, we read of two that are mentioned in the hall of faith. These, these are famous people who had faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, two of them that are mentioned, uh, Samson's example. After he went his own way, chasing after all of his lust, he lost his spiritual power, his purpose in life. He lost the, the work, working of his eyes. He lost his eyesight. He was grinding in a mill like a donkey, and eventually he lost his life. Why? God judges this. It's a consequence. David's example. He says, after he had sinned, my, my body wasted away. And we read that he says, God, your hand rested heavily upon me. Psalm 51. There are consequences for sexual immorality and adultery. Solomon speaks of this in Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7. You need to read that on a regular basis. That'll put so much perspective on everything that you see around you in the world. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. In verse 9, we read that when, when you're sinning like that, there's a consequence. You will give your honor to others. In chapter 6, verse 32, you'll be lacking sense. You'll be destroying yourself. Now, are there exceptions? No. It's just a matter of time. Be sure your sin will find you out. God will judge. I'm talking to myself. 
I'm talking to you. God will judge. I'm sharing this as a church, a pastor, shepherd, caring for people I love. Take heed to this warning and turn. Why? Because God loves you. He doesn't want you to face those consequences. Protect your marriage. Three lines of defense, all right? So we, we've seen the honorableness of marriage, and we're, we're understanding the, that why that's all there. So now let's, let's set up some plans for, okay, what are we going to do to make sure that marriage remains strong? Well, number one, guard your minds. Uh, would you look briefly at Ephesians 5, Galatians, Ephesians, excuse me, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we read here that we are to walk worthy of our calling, which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. A little bit later on, we are to not walk as the Gentiles, verse 17, in the futility of their minds, darkened with their understanding, because the way everyone else is living, it's not an excuse and we speak the truth to each other in love. We guard our minds. My mom <clears throat> had this saying that I can hear it today. Garbage in, garbage out. Anybody else ever hear that? So what are we going to do to guard our marriages? Guard your mind especially with men, and, and understanding the, the, the visual aspects of, of needing to guard our minds. Uh, in this day and age, you, you have to set up guardrails. You have to set up dads with, with teenage boys and just make sure that the phone, whatever their computers, make sure that there are guardrails up on, and do that for yourself and have somebody else, uh, somebody else that... that that has control over where your phone can go. It's not left up to you because you're a sin, sinner and, and it's, 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 the temptations just are coming at you left and right in this world. And ladies, the same thing. It's just in different ways, but still, set up the guardrails. <coughs> Excuse me. And understand that we can care for one another in these ways as well. And modesty and carefulness. Set up the guardrails. Number two, be prudent. Through your, through your interactions with the opposite sex. Um, exercise discretion in your interaction with others. Take, take, just be careful. <laughs> it's kind of a joke around here. But it's on purpose. Um, when I'm working here and there's no one else in the building and a lady needs to come in and be in the building and there's only the two of us here, uh, I leave. I mean, they, they have every right to be here and to do whatever work. And I can go work someplace else. I can go to the coffee shop, go to the office of the house somewhere. But I, 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 I do that just out of prudence. Not that there's going to be anything that happens, but I, I want my wife to know he's going to be careful. I want you to know he's going to be careful. I remember years ago when I started that pra practice, people kind of like, yeah, right, come on, good grief. I'm so glad I've done that. 
in this world the way it's going and the accusations that people make, the assumptions people make. Be prudent. And number three, create value in your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Be creative and, and create more enjoyment in this. I would encourage you to develop a, a, in fact, talk to me about this. I would text me and say, hey, pastor, give me some book recommendations or, or various websites, whatever, some things that, some podcasts, some, some ways that we can be talking about how we can improve our marriage. Books, articles, videos, series. Go to a marriage seminar every year. Thank you. I, well, I have a bottle of water up here, but that's, that is very helpful. I, I think of, of their, in fact, would somebody just say to me, Pastor, we need to have a marriage seminar here every year? I mean, that's something that, we, that you're creating value. Um, dates. Husband and his wife, this is so, so easy to get so busy about everything else, and we don't take time for that weekly date or that monthly getaway or that retreat for planning and praying. Go on a cruise. I hear an amen over there? Okay. I'll take you up on that. Okay. <clears throat> but, but you know how, guys, how you... How you polish your car and you get it just shining just so. Do the same thing with your marriage. We're coming up on 40 years of marriage this year. You're married to an old man. 40 years. I never dreamed I'd be saying that. And you know what? Every week, there are things that we have to work on to make our marriage better. And it, it, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because it's the core relationship that our whole society rests upon. Consider this. The marriage relationship has a connection with, with God's relationship with the church. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. I referenced that earlier. Ephesians chapter 5, the very end of this chapter. <clears throat> we read in verses 31 and 32, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and... Oh, we've heard this before. It's in Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh... This mystery is profound. So something that said at the beginning of the Bible, something that Jesus quoted verbatim and said this is together, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In Ephesians we're reading, now this is a mystery that's profound. And it refers to Christ and His church. You know what our world needs? To, what's, what's the purpose of the church? To be able to demonstrate to the world the love of God who God is and how much He loves us and how Christ has loved His church. And it's through our marriages, through our homes, how we live, that we are able to shine the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm saying this is referring to Christ and the church. It's the most effective communication we have of our witness of God's love. No wonder Satan attacks this thing that God says marriage is honorable. Lord, would you 
move in our hearts <clears throat> to think biblically on a thing that the culture around us is saying they don't want. Lord, give us a conviction that because of who you are and what you've done for us, we're going to hold true. We're going to endure. We're going to remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in this work of the Lord together. And Lord, would you strengthen our homes, strengthen the marriages that are represented here before me, strengthen my marriage. And Lord, may we continue to work at it and uh, create value within it and be a testimony of your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.